your kingdom come, your will be done. Please destroy everything. That's probably, probably not what it, what it means. So let's go to another definition in Merriam-Webster. Kingdom come just in general, not to kingdom come, but just kingdom come. And this kingdom come means heaven. So in a lot of times we, we understand kingdom come to mean, mean heaven, but even that doesn't necessarily make sense. Your kingdom come, your, your heaven, uh, help, us to, help us to focus on you. But the, the, I don't think that heaven is actually uh, the definition either. So what we are taught usually to do when we're studying the Bible is to go to context and go to verses and try to figure out what else, where else in the Bible does it say, does it speak about kingdom? And it, well, that's what we're going to do today a little bit is just to go through and look at some of those verses and try to get a better understanding of what kingdom is all about. So there's this important theme of the kingdom that comes up in the New Testament in general. It comes up where you have the word kingdom, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, kingdom of light, kingdom come. You see this all over the New Testament. So in the New Testament, it's about 126 times that kingdom comes up and 55 times specifically in Matthew that it comes up. So I suspect it's kind of important. You see the verses that come before it. You see the verses here. You see verses after it. I mean, all after these verses Jesus is just saying the kingdom is like this, the kingdom is like this, the kingdom is like this. So it's an important thing for us to understand if we think that it is just heaven or if it's blasting people, the kingdom come, then we probably need to have a better understanding of what it actually means. So I wanna look at some of these verses together. So what does Jesus mean when he asks us to pray for kingdom to come? Let's look at some of these verses uh, especially those verses that are leading up right into this particular verse, but uh, verses all over the New Testament specific uh, to kingdom. So first, the first verse, uh, a section of scripture I wanted to look at is in Matthew. It's Matthew 5, 3 through 10, also in the NIV. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So we see here that the kingdom of God is this, and then it kind of goes on to describe uh, what the kingdom actually looks like. Comforted, inherit the earth, filled, shown mercy. They will see God. They'll be called children of God. And at the end, it comes in and says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. And it does not say, just a, a small side note, it does not say blessed are those who are persecuted because they've been a jerk to people. It's actually because of righteousness, the righteousness, the gospel that we're sharing that you were persecuted because of that truth, not because of how we've acted toward people. But this is what the kingdom looks like. Also in Luke 17, 20 through 21, once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the, com the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. 
I don't know if you're familiar with some of the other times that Jesus says these startling things to Pharisees and the leaders of, uh, of, of the Jews. They, he, they basically, he, they ask him, okay, who are you? Uh, and he comes out and says, before Abraham was, I am, and making startling statements like that. But he says here another startling statement where he says, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Basically saying, I am the king and I'm bringing the kingdom. And not only is he saying that, there's a couple different ways to translate that, but it's, it's within you, it's within us. The kingdom is here, I've brought it and I've inaugurated this kingdom. And that would be startling to these religious leaders. We come to Hebrews 12, 2. It says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So we see, there's kind of different things we see as we're going through and seeing these verses that are uh, speaking about the kingdom. But we know from this verse and others that Jesus has sat down at the right hand and he's ruling and he's reigning in the kingdom. And then we come to Revelation 5, 9 through 10. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priest to serve our God and they will reign on earth. So we're seeing a lot of different things. It is, is it the past? Is it, the, is, it, is, it, is it right now? Is it the future? And I think Omar asked a very similar question this last week. The answer is, is it, is it before? Is it now? Is it the future? And the answer is yes. <laughs> it's like, does that actually, does that help? I think it does when we look at, the, at all of scripture and try to figure out what does the kingdom mean and how are we to understand when we pray this prayer, what are we actually asking? We come to Ephesians 2, 4 through 6. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him even in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So we see a lot of different things about the kingdom. And of course, there's a lot more verses, as I, as I noted, and as I stated. Uh, Jesus says, that he brought the kingdom. He also proved that he was king at the resurrection, which we're looking forward to. We're looking forward to. Spoiler alert: Easter is coming up, and that Jesus has raised from the dead. He is currently reigning over his kingdom at the right hand of the Father, and he has made us priests to reign with him now and in the future. So, if these things are true. If, if the kingdom has been inaugurated by Jesus, if he's proven that he is king, if we're reigning with him, if this is the kingdom before, now, and into the future, why do we have these things? Why do we have hunger? Why are people starving in different places in the world? Why are people starving in the United States? Why do we have homelessness? Why did we even have to pray for those who are homeless? those people in that specific situation? Why is there death? And why is there grief? Why is there sickness? Why is there COVID? Why is there any of the other sicknesses that we've been dealing with our whole lives? Why is there racism? 
Why is there war? Why is this? Why are the things going on in Ukraine? Why are wars going on all over the world throughout history and now? And why do we have sexual exploitation? So we know these things to be true. We read them in scripture. We've experienced them in, our, in ourselves. We see it as truth, but we also see all of these things that are, that are wrong with the world. We kind of want to explore a little bit for us to understand it truly why this is occurring if the kingdom is indeed already inaugurated. So what is our hope? This is a picture of a building near the airport in Ukraine. I think it's a good picture of how we experience life sometimes. Of like, it's just, sometimes we're beat up, beat up over the last week, or the last month, or the last two years in, in our cases. And we need to have hope. We need to understand what that hope is. And we don't need to just go to the scriptures and see, okay, king, the kingdom come, thy will be done. I don't even understand what I'm saying, Lord, but you asked me to do it. I think there's a powerful truth that can be found in scripture of just us truly understanding what the Lord's prayer is asking us to pray. So there's a couple different reactions to these statements that I was saying, all these problems that we're having that we see and we've experienced in life. And one of them, there's a myth that the world comes at it and says, they, they react in a certain way and they say, okay, the only thing that matters is the physical world completely just the physical world. We have the ability to fix the world. We're becoming better and better every, every day. We're just gonna evolve into good people and the world is naturally gonna become better. And then the kingdom in the sense is we're gonna have this utopia. This is a quote from an N.T. Wright book uh, called Surprised by Hope. I just wanna throw that book in the hopper for the book discussion because it's an amazing, amazing book. It's not necessarily on the topics we saw on the screen, but. I would highly recommend that you read this book, but I'm gonna have several quotes from this book and uh, from another book that you'll see here in a little bit. But N.T. Wright says this, many people, particularly politicians and secular commentators in the press and elsewhere still live by this myth, appeal to it and encourage us to believe it. Many Christians embrace what they call the social gospel, trying to put into practice in society the promises of the Christian message. An enormous amount of good work was done by this means. Though after a century of it, we now, we now all know that it isn't the full answer. So it's not saying that we should not be helping people and addressing these needs that we have seen. But it is saying it's not the full picture. We need to be living the kingdom out, yes, but it's not the full picture. So we have myth number one, which is the only thing that matters is the physical. And then we have myth number two, or reaction number two is the only thing that matters is spiritual. So, and I, I don't, hopefully none of us in here are these particular people, but there are people that we have heard, I, even, I can look back and, and see myself in this, in this one a little bit more. Let it burn and let, get as many people out as safe as possible. So it's all about only spiritual, let's get as many people saved as possible and then the world's gonna come to an end. So another quote from N.T. Wright says this, the created world in this particular uh, view is at best irrelevant or at worst dark, evil, gloomy place and we immortal souls who existed originally in a different sphere are looking forward to returning to it as soon as we're allowed to. Hopefully you've caught already, but it's even wrong at the very beginning Immortal souls, we're just sitting there and then we become human beings and then we go on to heaven and then that's it. 
That's not what the Bible has to say. I've heard it seriously argued in North America that God, since God intends to destroy the present space-time universe, and moreover, since he intends to do so quite soon now, it really doesn't matter whether we emit twice as much greenhouse gases as we do now, whether we destroy the rainforest and Arctic, Arctic tundra, whether we fill our skies with acid rain. It's like, it doesn't matter. Let's waste all the resources that we've been given. God's gonna burn it and destroy it anyway. And with some of the language in the Bible we look at, we're just like, okay, I can see where it sounds a little bit like that, but I don't think that is the full picture either. So we come to uh, the obligatory at Harbor, it's required that we use a Disney, uh, a Disney movie uh, reference, at least one. Omar did it this last week. We'll make sure that we're doing it every single one. So next week, you can make sure to put that in here. You guys have seen, uh, have you guys seen Coco? Have you guys seen Soul? If you have not, please go watch them. They're excellent movies. So I'm not gonna rip on the movies and say there's something wrong with them. Don't, don't have Disney Channel or anything like that. I think they're amazing movies. We show Coco every uh, Halloween around the Day of the Dead. And Soul, we just watch when it came out. It's like, oh, yeah, we get a free movie to watch on Disney. So the reason that I bring these up is not because just we have the obligation to put a Disney movie in every single sermon. It's uh, the fact that sometimes we get a picture of heaven, the kingdom, the afterlife, things like that from movies more than we do the Bible. <laughs> we actually see... In these two movies, it kind of presents as the spirit world is all we have. Like we have this afterlife. Our goal is to go on and to go into the spirit world. And then Coco, they're honoring their ancestors and they're remembering them every single year. And in soul, there's these disembodied souls that go out and you see him come back into another body. Like these, these weird ideas that are not biblical ideas. Great story, great movies, great, great morals that come out of this, but this is not a biblical uh, view of what the kingdom is, what the afterlife is, what that mean, what the actual, what God has intended for us in the future. So this come, uh, brings us to what I believe is our true hope, which is actually the, the actual kingdom reality. A great quote also from this book from N.T. Wright says, at no point in the gospels or acts, does anyone say anything remotely like, Jesus has gone into heaven, so let's be sure we can follow him. They say rather, Jesus is in heaven, ruling the whole world, and he will one day return to make that rule complete. Literally, the verses that we have read coming up to this point is speaking to Jesus's inauguration of the uh, of of the kingdom and his resurrection, and he's actually ruling and reigning. And I want to I want to look at some more verses, kind of speak to that truth about how we exist within that kingdom. Uh, last time I preached, I can't remember how many months ago, uh, back at the Moniker Warehouse, uh, I brought this quote. This is from Anthony Bradley, that is a professor at King's College. Um, I think this is a, a great picture of what the gospel is. And we make the gospel really small, but he's talking about a big gospel. I call this big gospel from a big God, the good news of God's saving work in Christ and the spirit by which the powers of sin, death and judgment are overcome and the life of the new creation is inaugurated. Moving toward the glorification of the whole cosmos. So we're starting to get a picture of God's, we don't 
just waste our time and waste our uh, waste God's creation. Uh, we actually honor and are good stewards of that creation because God is going to restore and renew us and the creation as a whole. So we come to Second uh, Corinthians four thirteen through fourteen, where we we see that God will restore and renew rather than just create from scratch, get rid of everything, and then just create a whole new universe and then put us in that universe. It is written, I believed, therefore I've spoken, since we have the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. Jesus is raised bodily, we are also going to be raised bodily. There is a connection between our bodies uh, and our future. We come to Romans eight eighteen through 21. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who was subjected to it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. As I was reading this and studying this, it's given me a fuller picture of what the actual kingdom entails. It's not just us escaping earth and the world gets destroyed and then nothing is left. The creation itself uh, is going to be redeemed. We come to Colossians 1.19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. I'm excited to see that Jesus is going to, he is going to bring everything to himself and we'll see a full-fledged kingdom instead of just this spiritual world. We see a spiritual and physical world redeemed uh, by our Lord. So there's a theme that we see when we go to the Bible sometimes and we're looking at verses and we're trying to get clarity and we say, what does this verse mean? And we go to other verses. Like, okay, did that even make it more clear necessarily? Um, But I think in this particular case, what we see as the kingdom is this reality of we have this now. This is not just a future reality. There's a now and not yet component. We have a, the kingdom is happening now and there's a kingdom that is to come expressed in the Bible and experienced in our daily lives. We see that in our verses. We see that in the, uh, in the verses in the Bible and we see that um, as we experience life every day when we see all this pain and suffering and things like that, we also see great things that the Lord is doing. Kind of going back to that same list that we looked at before, we see the kingdom at work in addressing both individual and systemic issues. So for hunger, these are just some instances that we're connected with here in San Diego. So with hunger, the kingdom is seen and has lived out in ministries like Jesus Cares. We're feeding those who are hungry that kind of crosses over into homelessness. San Diego Rescue Mission and David's Heart for at-risk youth and other organizations all over the world, not just in San Diego, not just in the United States, but the whole world. Why is there death and grief? We understand looking at the, looking at the Bible, why specifically certain reasons for us dying, but we also have this comfort with things like grief share. We have sickness but we also see the kingdom at work 
in our healthcare workers, in the hospital system, in vaccines. Also, we, have, we know that the racism exists, but we also, in our own lives, with our own relationships, are seeing repentance, repair, and reconciliation happening within that. We, also, we need to see more of that, but we're seeing it happen. The kingdom is living in us as we're uh, going out and doing these things. So we also have war and the effects of war. We have good neighbor teams that we see here in San Diego, but we're gonna see more of those needs and there's organizations all over the world that are dealing with that and living out the kingdom in that way. And we have sexual exploitation and generate hope that is addressing those things. And they're addressing it in such a way that they're not just focusing on the physical needs. These addressing physical problems, we actually see that they're addressing the spiritual root of these problems as well. And we come to the spiritual side of it because there's a spiritual side and a physical side. This is Paul, a quote from Paul. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. Our sin we see the kingdom being lived out when we see our own lives transformed, when we've been saved by believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ crucified for our sins, buried and resurrected on the third day. This, these transformed lives, we're seeing that every single day in each one of us as God is transforming us. So it's both a physical and a spiritual reality of what the kingdom is, as opposed to just focusing on one or the other. So, there's some questions that Omar uh, asked us last week and will continue to ask. So in, in relationship to this petition, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, knowing the things that we've learned from the scripture, how does this petition change my view of prayer? I want you to be thinking about that, be thinking about that now, but also be thinking about maybe that your notes or in your time this week, how in the world does knowing these things about the kingdom change your view of prayer? And I kind of just wanted to, like if I was answering these questions, my, just myself, these are, these are my answers of how it's changed my view. It changed my view of prayer. It forced me to look at what I was actually asking for when I prayed your kingdom come, rather than just saying it a bunch of times. I could truly understand what it means. I, I believe, and I'm going to come to come to understand more as I read more, study more, and become closer to God. I'm asking that my all-loving God would get his way in this world and use me to love other people in the process. That's what, like, I'm actually seeing what I'm asking. And I, this week, I've actually found myself praying this prayer and then like inserting certain things. It's like, okay, the kingdom come. I want the, my, the, the kingdom to come in Ukraine. I want the kingdom to come in Russia. I want the kingdom to come in specific places. As I'm, as I'm thinking through this and praying through this, I, it's become new to me. And I encourage you to kind of study it more and try to figure out what does the kingdom come mean to you and what does prayer mean in light of Jesus asking us to pray this way. So also, how does the petition change my view of God? It gave me a new perspective about the love of his creation, not just the love of me or people, but the love of myself and others and the rest of creation. God does not just love me or my special band of people within my church. He loves everyone and he loves uh, his creation. And then how does this petition change my view of myself? It reminded me that I am royalty 
in a co-heir with Christ in his kingdom. I definitely don't realize that almost ever. And it's not because of who I am or because, it, it, it's not because of who I am, but it is because of who he is. That I, un- I understand that he is, he has brought me into the kingdom and he has given me a chance to reign with him. And then ha- I've added an extra question, a bonus question that Omar didn't include this last week. How does this petition change my view of others? It gave me a new set of eyes for my neighbors as people that God loves as part of his good creation. I want the kingdom to come in their lives as well as my own. I kind of kind of want to wrap up with a quote. This is a book that Omar quoted from uh, this last week. It's a book by Derwin Gray. He's a pastor at Transformation Church in Charlotte. Um, and it's a book about the Lord's Prayer called, God, Do You Hear Me? I think this encapsulates my feeling and hopefully encapsulates your feelings as, as well of what we're experiencing now and what the kingdom is in our lives. Sometimes the pain of living in a not yet fully redeemed world is too much to bear. Like you, I long for the wrongs to be made right, for hurts to be healed, for the forgotten to be remembered, for the oppressed to be treated with dignity and for the untouchables to be held. We yearn for fairness for ourselves, do we not? I know we do because when we are treated unfairly, fairly, we let it be known. You and I cry out for justice. According to the Lexham Bible Dictionary, justice, mishpat, is a divinely righteous action, whether taken by God or humans, that promotes equality among humanity. The kingdom of God is, is a kingdom of justice. And we, the sacred, spirit-filled family of royal priests, are bringers of Abba's justice. To love our neighbor as ourselves is simply justice on public display. After, I mean, over the last two weeks, I think I've read three or four whole full books about the Lord's Prayer to try. And so I have another two or three hours of sermon. If you want to, it's like, what do I put in this sermon? It's like, I put in a bunch of verses. There's like thousands of verses and commentaries and books and great things to talk about the kingdom. Try to jam it all in this short amount of time. But I think for me, I would encourage you to check out the Surprised by Hope book and also this God Do You Hear Me book very accessible books to be able to look at, to kind of dig into this small section of scripture that's the Lord's Prayer. And then we come to the verses almost like right preceding the Lord's Prayer. And this, this version is in the message. And I love the way the message puts this and it kind of brings this uh, to kind, of, kind of to its conclusion. Matthew 5, 48 says this, in a word, what I'm saying is grow up. It's good, it's good for me to hear. You are kingdom subjects. Now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously toward others the way God lives toward you. Me realizing these things and going back to scripture and understanding where I am and what my place is in the kingdom helps me understand how much I need to actually live out that kingdom in my life every single day with my neighbors, with my friends, with people in church, everybody I come into contact with. And this is just, this is a huge reminder to me that I actually need to mature. I actually need to get past this original thinking of the Lord's Prayer is just this thing that I say over and over again because I have to at the beginning of a church service or it's just this by rote prayer. 
it actually means something. It actually means that I need to live out what uh, God has called me to do. We come to this, at, at, come at the end here to a time of prayer. Um, what I wanted to do, there's a prayer at the end of the chapter about this section of the Lord's Prayer by, by Derwin Gray. I wanted to read this prayer and have, a, have us pray together. You don't necessarily have to read it together because it's a lot of words and it's very interesting sounding if we read it all together. But listen to this prayer and then we'll transition into a time where you can actually participate uh, and pray as well that the kingdom will come. Here in San Diego, in the, in the state, in the world, uh, this time of prayer opens up with Abba, Abba Father, teach me. Mold me by the Spirit into a person who loves my neighbor as myself. Clothe me in Christ every second of every day so I can love my neighbor and wrong no one. Love is giving. Love is living. Love is fulfilling. Love is sacrificial. Love is patient beyond reason. Love is hopeful when it makes no sense. Love conquers evil. Love defeats death. Love rights the wrongs. Love bottles every tear. Love heals the hurt. Love sets the captives free. Love lifts the oppressed. Love humbles the proud. Love gives grace to the humble. Love welcomes all the prodigals home. Love runs after the runaways. Love is forgiving and sin-killing. Love looks like a bloody man on the cross. Love looks like an empty tomb. Love has a name. It is Jesus. Fill me so his justice can be on display as I love my neighbor. This is the kingdom of Abba, Father, amen.